my name is Jonathan Smith. I'm the content director of the InfoPro Insurance Division. And today I'd like to bring you the second podcast in a series that we're calling Insurance Expertise in Audio, where we do deep dives on some of the most topical issues facing insurance presently. And today we're focusing on data and data ethics. Um, and to join me, I'm glad to say I've got an expert panel, which is um, Anna Rita Rishino, so Head of Predictive Analytics at Zurich. Jeff Ward, who is the founder of the Jeff Ward Consultancy. And finally, Olivier Ferrou, who's the Head of Research and Development at the Open Data Institute. Welcome all. So Jeff, uh, coming to you, first of all, uh, one of your focuses in area of expertise has been centred around the need for data sourcing and validity with plenty of experience at Lloyds of London. Um, could you expand on some of the work that you conducted and some of the data issues as you see them that have occurred in the London and Lloyds markets? Yeah, um, so this has been going on for, for, for many, many years, um, decades in fact. Um, where the the need to uh, replace paperwork um, with some sort of data um, has been, uh, you know, sought sought um, by by the industry um, in order to reduce cost primarily. Um, and you know, for the last thirty years, there have been a number of uh, a number of attempts at um, trading some of the data involved in the large commercial insurance and reinsurance sector, um, which uh, have sort of revolved around these standards from Accord. Um, that's um, the industry body that's set up to um, uh, to maintain and um, negotiate standards. Um, the, not enormously successful, it has to be said, over the years, um, mainly, I think, in many ways, because of the working practice changes needed for the industry in order to be able to sort of successfully embed this data transfer into the um, transaction um, and the placing um, of, of the insurance business. Um, so we're now at a point where there are electronic trading systems in use within the market, but they're still not trading large quantities of data what they're doing is they're trading large quantities of digitized documents which is which is obviously quite different a, a, a pdf isn't isn't data it's still information uh, i think there, there, there is a big difference in my in my mind between information and data um, we have we are a very very information rich market um, but that's not addressable by computers and the, the, to make the information data so that it's addressable um, is an extremely difficult task. Um, obviously, we, we have a fairly in the in, in in the in the London and Lloyd's market. We have a fairly complex distribution chain, uh, which makes it very very hard to implement these sorts of changes. Um, the 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 information that is ultimately coming from policyholders um, has to wend its way through a fairly complex route um, in order to end up at the underwriter. Um, either coming through MGAs, it could be coming through retail brokers, wholesale brokers, London market placing brokers, and eventually it lands in the underwriter systems. And so that's a fairly tortuous chain that has to be, if you like, digitized. Um, and, and we are a long, long way away from doing that yet, um, despite the fact that the standards are slowly evolving to, to help. Um, another part of the problem um, is that the uh, complexity of the data that we have to deal with in 
the uh, commercial insurance market um, is extremely high. Um, it's it's quite uh, it's quite easy to to, to say that that um, you know insurance is going to be data driven and so on and so forth. And obviously, we're hearing an awful lot of talk about data, data, data um, within within the future at Lloyd's and um, LinkedIn's alive with. Uh, um, mentions of the fact that, that that data is the way forward, but actually, when it when you, when you come to look at it, it's 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 quite a complex problem to solve. I think the, um, the 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 structure of the data that we have in the in the commercial insurance market is is extremely complicated, and it's also very very broad. Uh, we insure an awful lot of different things in the in the commercial insurance world, and they all require different structures to be able to define in data terms. Currently, um, it's quite easy to type out a spreadsheet with some relatively inaccurate um, uh, descriptions um, to go with to go with the risk, because it you know um, it it doesn't it, it's not going to cost anybody dearly if there's if there's an enormous amount of of, of of errors within within that. It's not really being used in that way. But of course, if we want to start using this information, it's got to be structured correctly. Um, and it's got to be valid. It's got to be authenticated. Um, and and these the, the 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 structures of the data that we use at the moment don't don't really lend themselves to that, and there's no general agreement throughout the distribution chain about who's going to do what with 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 the uh, with the data. So um, although I don't doubt for one second that the uh, that the insure tech community. Is, is is obviously full of extremely intelligent people with with some serious motivation for coming up with analytical tools and all sorts of things to to use this data i think the achilles heel that we have is actually getting it in a valid structured way um from source um and that's 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 where i think that's where we are at the moment everyone's this to sound too negative but i think there's an awful long way to go so, um, Jeff, insurers have long utilised systems and models that see the customer input their own data to get a policy quote. Do, do you think that <clears throat> that that model of allowing customers to find their own data, for, say a home insurance policy, will always come with the risk of the person not understanding what the indicators they should be inputting? Uh, what's your view on that? Um, I think that's a very good point. Um, I've been working in the insurance industry for 30 something years. Um, and I'm fairly used to filling in forms online, just like most people of our generation and younger, we can sort of do it. But nothing raises the blood pressure and the pulse rate more than filling in an insurance proposal form online. Um, it's um, obviously the general insurance world and to a lesser extent, perhaps the life insurance world has moved towards getting the customer to do the data entry. Um, and that's that's obviously a good thing because it means that that um, the the data is being keyed in once it's being reused throughout the entire chain um, and is ultimately used for you know selecting and pricing the risk. That's great until the customer makes a mistake, um, and the implications for making a mistake on an insurance proposal form um, can be extremely serious. Um, and and I, I don't like doing it, I have to say, when I go onto confuse.com and key in all that data or reuse the stuff that I keyed in last year, 
have to go through it and review it and read it time and time and time again. And even then, my finger starts shaking when I'm clicking the OK button because I know what the implications are for making a mistake. I'm still of that generation where I'd probably rather somebody with a, with a, you know, a human being then picked up the phone and called me and we went through it together, but fully understand that that's, that's an expensive hobby. I mean, by way of example, I was um, adding uh, one, one, of, one of my children temporarily to an insurance policy only a few months ago. Um, and I called up the insurance companies I would normally have done uh, ready for a 10 minute discussion with them to go through all the points and listen to listen to all the disclaimers being read out um, and paying 50 quid and being uh, being happy. But uh, as soon as the phone was answered, the agents at the other end said, well, why aren't you using the website to do this? Um, and he then spent the next 10 minutes walking me through every aspect of using their new website in order to basically um, amend my policy. I mean, it didn't it, it? It felt good in one way because you know that's what technology is supposed to do. But in another way, it felt quite uncomfortable because I was doing something then that was potentially prone to error. Also, wasn't entirely keen on the thought that ultimately that website is going to be putting that guy out of a job. Um, but that's a that's a different discussion entirely. Um, obviously, this is the general insurance world, and it's relatively easy to ask your customer to be the data entry clerk, provided you can offer them maybe a lower premium, you can reduce the costs. I mean, in the example I gave you, I was told that, you know, I'd save the tenor on the admin fee for doing the policy change. Well, that's that's a, that's a nice tenor to have. Um, but this is much, much more difficult to do in the commercial insurance world. Um, how do you get businesses to supply all of the data we want? Um, that's, a, that's a complex area. A business isn't just insuring a car or a house, a business is potentially insuring a fleet of things or a schedule of assets to go with the, with the policy. And of course, that's, that's a complicated job. There's no such thing as a, as, a, uh, as a faultless fixed asset register. There's nobody's got one of those that's got all of their assets already in it. So that's, that's a much harder nut to, uh, nut to crack. So, Jeff, do you think insurers, if they're not already starting to move to this kind of model, move to a sorting model that sees more uh, data exploration taking away the need for data input from the customer? Uh, yes, well, I think we, we, we're probably all aware that that's going on at the moment. Um, you know, the personal on the personal line side, I mean, motor, it's fairly clear that all you need to do is supply your registration number and uh, the insurer will will be able to get from a third party source pretty much everything they need to know about the car that you're trying to insure and your postcode and your your house number to go with it will probably give them an awful lot of information that they need um need to do that and i'm quite sure in the life in the life insurance sector if you, if you provide your doctor uh, the name of your doctor and all the rest of it then they don't have to ask you thousands of questions about your health um, they don't have to, uh, you know, ask you to fill in a form stating the last 20 times that you went to see the doctor and what was the outcome. I mean, that's a stress-inducing thing in the first place. And knowing that if you answer incorrectly and it doesn't corroborate against your doctor's answers, you could end up with a loading. So I think that's that in many ways is very good, um, provided, of course, that, um, that you can rely on the third party's data gathering. Quite clearly, if you're filling in that form and the form it's in its entirety is being used 
iterate your policy, then you, you know, if you're if you've filled in all the fields correctly and you've had the confidence to press the OK button to submit it, then that's fair enough. You know, it sort of falls on you as the consumer to be open and honest and, and declare everything you need to declare for the insurance company to make their assessment. But if a third party's in use, then obviously they have to um, they have to be trusted. And obviously you as a consumer have no idea who they are. I'm going to give you another, another personal example of this. This is a number of years ago. I was... Um, I was instructed by my home insurer that my house was no longer insurable um, because we lived in a flood zone, which I thought was a bit bizarre um, because we don't. Um, so I had a look at the maps and all the rest of it. And it turns out, as I knew, that there was a, there was a, a stream about 150 metres away from the house. Um, and there is indeed a small flood zone surrounding the stream. But what the insurance company didn't know, because they hadn't been told, is that our house is, is approximately 50 metres above the stream, um, on account of the fact that we have a very steeply sloping garden and there's a steeply sloping field going all the way down to the stream at the bottom of which is a flood zone. So it took me quite a lot of effort to try and persuade the insurance company that although theoretically there was a flood risk, in reality, the flood risk of our house, I mean, had we been flooded as a result of that stream. I don't think actually the insurance claim would have been the would have been the first thing on our minds. If we'd have had uh, 50 meters of water in the area, that'd have been quite significant problems for everybody. <laughs> so um, I think it's important that that the third party data enrichment companies and the rest of it, uh, they have to be able to be trusted by not only the, um, the insurance company, but also in some way they have to be trusted by the customers. So, Jeff, uh, every time I read a, a report about the future of insurance, whether it's the future of laws or whatever, the word data is referenced very heavily. Do, but do you think mm -hmm. you know, we should be looking at an alternative definition? Because is, you know, this talk, strategy, discussion, data, I mean, is it just too broad? I think I think it is far too broad. Um, um, as, as, as I said earlier, I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of people refer to data when, in fact, they probably mean, in, my, in the way I think of it, they probably mean information. Um, data is something that, that you can use electronically, in, in, my, in my mind, um, and information is something that you can probably read on the train, not necessarily with a laptop. So the, 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 even then, the, you know, there's, there's not an accurate definition of what data means. And of course, doing stuff with data is entirely different from getting the darn stuff in the first place. Um, so the, the business of sourcing the data, bringing it through the distribution chain, validating the data, enriching the data, these are all different disciplines, they're different parts of the equation. Um, and I do find it slightly worrisome that, I mean, it has taken us, I mean, in my experience, the best part of 30 years to get to where we are at the moment. Uh, in the use of uh, computer systems uh, exchanging information. We, we very much still are on the nursery slopes of that. Without question of doubt, if you look at the PPL electronic trading platform, it is, um, I would imagine it's in, it's in quite a lot of use at the moment, given where we are um, with the pandemic, um, but it is fundamentally exchanging information. It's not a data trading platform and it's taken you know, three decades of trying to get this far. 
Um, we're no, and that's, I'm talking obviously about the commercial insurance world here. We are, we are not in a situation where, where we can just say, OK, well, we're going to put a bit more data on that. And then all of a sudden we'll have fixed our data problems, because I think it's a much, much broader subject than that. So, Jeff, can I ask you, do you think that technology will ever account for issues of data validity and human error? Um, account for? <laughs> be held responsible for or, or to oversee. Um, I suppose um, having faith in technology um, is, is, is something we're all going to have to get used to. Um, and I think, I think it's fair to say that, that, that technology, once it's started to do its job right, um, it tends to carry on doing its job right. Um, and if its job is 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 making sure that 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 um, that that people are doing the right thing, um, uh, are and it and it's it's in an overseeing role, um, then, then then that's fine. It will continue to do that, and it can monitor for things not being done properly. And, and technology is quite good at doing that sort of thing once it starts to work. But I think we're probably all aware that it does take quite a long while for new technologies to really get to that point where they work, where, where we can, un, without qualification, we can say, well, that, that technology, it, it works. Um, look at all the stuff that we use daily, you know, in our, in our lives, Confuse.com and eBay and all these other things. I mean, they didn't start off by working particularly well. And after a while, they sort of settled down and they started working well. And we've now become absolutely reliant on, reliant on these things. Um, so I suppose I suppose the the concern is, is that, that although the, the future where there is technology running a lot of this stuff and making fewer mistakes that human beings would make and giving more accurate results and everything else, I think that's something to look forward to. I think it's it's whether it's whether we have um, it's it's how we if you like dovetail that into where we are at the moment, where fundamentally human beings get the final say. Um, and how much reliance you have on on emerging technologies um, and whether you're going to be prepared to dive headlong in or, or start them in very, very small areas and see how it works and build it out from there. Um, and I think I think there's a, there's a great tendency these days to 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 um, look at technology and say, well, that's going to that's going to be it. That's the savior. That's going to that's going to transform our world. Well, I think that's probably where the where the problems are going to be if we're, if we're relying on, on on immature technology, if you like, to transform the world. I mean, we need to put our feet back on the ground and, and maybe wait for this to mature. So moving on to the topic of data analytics and uh, utilisation, um, I'll come to you, uh, Anna Rita, on this. Uh, data analytics and utilising information is essential for an insurer to produce better products and services for customers. But in your opinion, just how good are analytics systems in today's modern tech sector? And are our analytics systems reaching a ceiling in terms of the ability to predict? And how can they improve? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, technologies have definitely evolved in the last few years in our ability to build analytics model. 
And I would say, you know, we have a vast choice of um, technologies, technologies companies, which we could use to, to build and deploy analytics um, in, in our organizations. And, and actually, that has also been um, helped by the um, free software that we could use, like example of R or Python, which would allow us also to build app and applications to deploy analytics. The biggest ceiling, to be honest with you, hasn't really changed about analytics, and it's probably for me data quality and data availability anyway. Um, the quality of the models that we build or the analytics that we put in place is highly related to the quality of the data that you put in. And if that is not good, then you wouldn't expect to have any good predictions coming out. One other thing also that could be a ceiling is our ability then to integrate um, this technology to our IT systems. And, you know, as you can imagine, especially big insurers will still have legacy systems lying around, which might have built in ages where, you know, API didn't exist. And that makes the connection between the technology and the analytics technology and the systems and the legacy systems harder and even, you know, expensive in a way. The last part to me is also about um, it's about actually our ability to marry uh, analytics and human intelligence. So so it's un, um, human intelligence and artificial intelligence that really, really are going to push the limit to what we are able to do with analytics. Um, if you can imagine, you know, a model can predict something, but how you use it, how you interpret it, and how you bring the people expertise into using these models, this insight, that is really going to get us the biggest competitive advantage and really going to break the ceiling in our ability to predict, um, to predict things or to derive value um, in our businesses. I would also like to say that one important thing that we have learned in the last you know, few years of using analytics is also about transparency. Um, so there are a number of tools which are out there which could be seen a bit of a black box and all of this conversation we're having at the moment about data ethics and an ethical use of data means that we need to be transparent with the decision that we take by using analytics and so any tools that we use has to be able to kind of like go back and allow us to understand which information we use to derive the certain decision and we need to do that for for you know for um, for loyalty for our customers but also to be able to um, understand the decision that we make and fully fully support them and see how they actually make um, a change and a benefit to uh, to our businesses and for our customers so anarita I mean, it's often said that insurance companies have just so much data now uh, flowing through their systems. Do, do you think any insurer is making the, the most of that data that's collected and how could insurers improve their data utilisation? Oh, absolutely. I would say, you know, in insurance, we have been using data since the beginning, really. And, and that's um, where the actuarial profession has, you know, been um, at the forefront uh, of the usage of data. I, I, I would agree, though, that um, there is definitely uh, 
more that we could uh, we could do um, and in terms of uh, using or widely using that information there are again barriers here that prevent us from doing that and I mentioned earlier the legacy system is definitely one of them we might have the information but it might be hard to get hold of it because it's linked to a system that is somewhere and it's harder to get uh, data out of that um, there are also areas like, you know, um, our ability to actually recruit for good analytical uh, people is also like a barrier at the moment. Uh, we might have a lot of data and a lot of information, but if we don't really have the right people to use it and drive value from that, it's really hard to get the benefit, um, the benefit out of it. Um, but there are ways to overcome these barriers, um, and and we have done, you know, in my experience, we've used a, a number of them. So, so first of all, is you know, most insurers, most organisations will have pricing data available to them. So, so for example, start thinking about which other applications data that's originally used for pricing could have. And I could think about many of them, like even in the way we forecast claims or in the way we run our operations and we optimize the way we operate. Um, external data is also a good place to start. If legacy system is a problem, external data and, and you know, open source data uh, comes with the advantage that it's not really sitting in any of our systems, which means you can, you know, you can bring it in um, and that can offer massive opportunities, especially around, you know, our ability to understand more about our customers, um, in particular in the, um, in the government, uh, in the government space. Um, but most importantly, I would say that the, the important part to actually being able to get the bigger use of the data is always start with a business case, always be clear about the business purpose, why we're using it and what we are trying to, to achieve. You know, at the end of the day, data is a tool to achieve a benefit. And if we are able to link that to a company strategy, we can get most of it, um, most of its value out. Uh, Anna-Rita, you mentioned in your, your first, uh, one of your answers about the, um, the, the human element and the basically about, you know, it's very as, as advanced as data technology might be it's important that employees become data conscious as well and, and, and know how to use it how that is important i presume oh it's it's absolutely critical it's it's incredibly important um so clearly with gdpr we've all learned and we've all brought uh, with us clarity about what we can and we can't do it with data but I think it's absolutely crucial that we all understand um, and that what we should and we shouldn't do with data which is you know as you can imagine different um, and we have that that's is more um, out of everything actually that's a moral responsibility that we have um, to become data conscious and that doesn't really apply that shouldn't really apply only to data practitioners should apply to anyone who comes in contact uh, or uses data for their uh, for their job, um, and this is why also at Zurich we have introduced the data commitment across our entire group, um, and this is a promise that our CEO Mario Greco has made to our customers um, that um, that we will not share that data without letting them know. We will not sell that. We will be transparent with what we do with it. Um, and and we will also make sure that we will put the data to work to actually derive benefit for them and for their lives. And this is a very, very important point, you know, uh, becoming data conscious. It's also about us, you know, being able to talk about how um, 
the biggest advantage or the advantage is that the use of data actually have already made to our customers. Um, so, so being able to talk about that uh, together with the limitations and the um, and the risk of using data, actually, let, let's also talk about how important and how many changes we have been able to make in, in, in positive for our customers' life by the use of data. And telematics is one of these examples where I definitely say our ability to have data has helped our, has helped our customer to, to, you know, to be safer um, on the roads. But absolutely, data consciousness is incredibly important and we have to embed that in our culture. Obviously, there's a lot of talk at the moment about being data driven. Uh, it's almost a cliche now. And when companies talk about moving to a data driven world, what objectives would you set to ensure that they actually have a strong data based operation? Oh, the, the, and uh, you're right. You know, the, often, often now we, we talk about uh, being data driven uh, and data driven organizations. I think if you go on LinkedIn, you probably find that every other post. Um, <laughs> I think, in essence, it's about um, the ability of organization to empower individuals to make overdue decisions using data. In practice, um, that, that means a number of things. And that probably my, my top two or three are, first of all, our ability to upskill our organizations in data literacy. Um, so so the, the idea of being data-driven organization doesn't mean that the organization is uh, needs to be like, you know, we need to have loads of, uh, data experts in there. It's it's also about our ability for anyone in any jobs uh, to be able to um, to refer to data when they make decisions, to be able to um, make decisions which are data driven or informed by data, um, and also to validate the things they are doing by using by using data. Um, there is also a big part which is about investing and recruiting and training analytics talent. Absolutely. Um, and that, um, and, and, and by doing that, uh, we can actually maximize the benefit of, of data, of the use of data in, in the value creation chain. Um, at Zurich, for example, we are partnering now with, uh, with the University of Winchester, where we have created one of the first um, uh, degree, uh, apprenticeship degree in data science in this country. Um, and we are going to use that to upskills our internal advanced analytics staff. And for the data uh, literacy, we also have a, a really, really good program which is running at the moment, which is the Data Academy. Uh, again, to upskill like our colleagues in underwriting and claims, um, in using data and understanding how that data could be used to um, to drive to drive decision. And I think one of the things also is really important is also bringing in um, a culture of trial and error. Because um, when you use data, you you often find that um, you know if you have an hypothesis as in science, it's the same same thing as in science. You know, you might have an hypothesis uh, and you want to test it. And with data, you can test it quite quickly. But you know, there will be times where these hypotheses are wrong. Our ability to embed that in our culture, there will be things that we try which are wrong. But if we can minimize the risk, then that's the right way to to move forward to a you know a truly data driven organization. Obviously, Anna Rita, we've we've mentioned a lot about the the internal um, kind of mechanisms here in terms of the staff and the the processes that are put in place. But how come how do companies assess their data operation in terms of the end customers and and the company's objectives of kind of you know meeting those customer objectives and demands? Um, so what tools and processes are required to ensure a strong kind of feedback element um, in the data operation? 
that's that's a really really good point um, that that we are raising now. Um, we we often I often hear people talking about you know analytics and use of data just to, with the idea of you know building a model or building a product, but um, it's less talked about how we measure the benefit and how we are able then to to understand um, feedback from that. So that is absolutely important. And there are a couple of things that are really keen. So so for, for, from my point of view, and, and what we are doing at Zurich is our analytics process doesn't stop to us delivering the model. Um, it continues to us actually assessing that model validity and also checking that the model is still doing the right thing. So our analytics prediction is still doing the right things moving forward. So you could do that either by employing the right technology there, so having real-time data that allows us to actually check that we are still making the right decision we still we are still benefiting the customer we are still you know keeping the promise but also it's also about making sure again going back to the data literacy it's also making sure that um, our people on the front line are able to spot um, changes and things that are perhaps not working as they should um, and they are able to flag we, we build the mechanism within our operation for them to be able to flag that so that then we are able to make changes and understand um, and, and and understand you know the feedback mechanism that goes back and and in a way it's it's quite it's quite an interesting uh, paradigm actually because the more data we use and the more data we use to make decision the more data we produce the more data we are going to use because of the feedback mechanism so so being able it all goes back really to the data and to how we can bring that checkpoint by using data, by using human expertise in each point of this process. Um, so, so yeah, feedback is crucial, um, especially when uh, in times where we are we are moving more and more decision to becoming automated. And I think this is a, a good point to bring in uh, Olivier. Um, obviously, we're talking there about, you know, um, the customer. Um, the whole issue of data ethics is, a, is an extremely hot topic at the moment. And I suppose to start with, just to ask you very broadly, do you think insurers are in the main ethical with their use of data? That's a really, really interesting question. And I'm going to be uh, slightly sneaky and, and not answer with what with what I think, because that's to some extent <laughs> somewhat irrelevant. But uh, I think showing the public attitude towards that might uh, help answer it. And um, in 2018 and 2019, we've we've run polls with uh, YouGov uh, in Europe for the first one and, and in the UK for the second one. And uh, one of the uh, one of the questions was whether um, types of companies were trusted to work with data and insurance companies uh, were not very trusted to to uh, to work ethically with data. There was a 20 percent um, trust uh, well, 20% of the the people polled uh, said they trusted insurance companies to uh, work ethically with data. Uh, that's got to be put in, in context. That is still way better than the three and five percent that uh, marketing and advertising companies uh, and social media companies uh, got in, in in that poll. But uh, we've we do have. Um, an issue of of trust whether uh, ethical uh, whether insurance companies are, are ethical with, with data is is a really difficult question to answer because essentially the 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 ethics is in that space in between uh, what what must be done and Anari tested that very very well just earlier that you know we've got we've got clarity on what we must do but we still are all figuring out what we ought to do and we are still um, all 
organizations and, and people figuring out what is it that we want to um, to norm as the ethics of data. But generally speaking, we do have quite a lot of work for uh, insurance companies to uh, really increase uh, the uh, levels of trust in how uh, that the industry is work working with data. And I think to, to some extent, my, my suspicion is that the level should be much, much higher because we're talking about an industry that has been working with data for a long, long time. And of all industries, insurance is one that has much more maturity in how uh, data has been collected and used. And, and, and so there, there is potential, I think, for the trust to be um, uh, increased, uh, as Anarita again said earlier, through transparency, through uh, showing the mechanisms of, of, of ethical working with data. First, to look at this from a different perspective, do, do you agree with the argument that if insurers are to assess risk accurately and correctly, then access to a greater amount of data uh, or personal information is essential? Um, so this is an area that uh, I'm, I'm not an expert in, but intuitively, yes, of course, there is, uh, the, you know, personal at the heart of uh, the data that is being used to 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 run, you know, insurance. The the, the modeling uh, relies on it. But there's there's basically two things that uh, I would like to bring as nuance to to that uh, broad answer. And the first one is um, that uh, we, we've we've seen in other industries, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm going to be really mean to advertising throughout, but advertising especially has shown uh, recently that there's been a whole ecosystem. Uh, of of the whole industry has essentially created an ecosystem around targeting and tracking and using personal data to to improve the efficiency and the effectiveness of advertising. And studies I have seen recently show that this is bogus. That mostly uh, the, that uh, advertising ecosystem is is feeding itself and uh, and making quite a lot of money. Uh, but actually not being much, much better than completely broad broadcast advertising in terms of efficiency. And so th there, there is a need for, uh, for us here to, to query that, that uh, presumption that uh, personal data is absolutely essential. And I think the answer to that comes, and again, I will, I will uh, highlight something very good that Anarita said just earlier, you know, making sure that we, uh, that we get away from the black box model and that we are much more transparent and that we, there's much more um, that is made uh, visible and auditable and, uh, and, that the, and that people can understand will allow us to get away from the, uh, the perception that um, that personal data is, is used for, for Ill, Ill means. We've, we've had, you know, and uh, no later than 2018, a bit of a, 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 a bit of a scandal with that, um, uh, that uh, investigation by the Sun that was that was looking at how uh, people's names would or would not, I, I you know, the, 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 the accounts differ, but the fact that there, there are expectations that your name will in will change how, how much your policy will be priced means that uh, overall there is a, a perspective that personal data is not used well by insurance um, and that uh, that needs to be fixed so i mean talking about this generally um there are different views on data privacy some people are uh, uh, keen for their data to remain private at all costs while others are less concerned about about data use where do you think um 
the majority of people stand on this. And, and do you feel that data privacy is overhyped or is it not been taken seriously enough? Uh, what's really interesting here is that um, th there's a, um, a tendency uh, for us in the industry, kind of uh, uh, practitioners of data, to to expect that there's basically that the, the two um, a big dichotomy with two extremes that the the, the the privacy nuts and the people who really don't care um, that sometimes we throw in some generational uh, cliches in there. But uh, we've actually done quite a lot of research on the um, the perspective of of uh, people um, um, with regards to to privacy, and you know the the, the main thing, of course, is to uh, is to realize that not not all people are the same. You know, people are different, and that there and you you can't really give a broad statement that the public uh, uh, thinks uh, that privacy is x x y z. But what is really really quite interesting, and we've had um, last year a piece of research that we did with um, with the RSA about um, attitudes and perspectives to privacy, and the big big thing was not so much that people cared or didn't care. I think there's 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 a there's a, a mix there. But what is really really clear is that people understand and care about personal data much more than they've been given credit for. And it's not so much that they have uh, black and white perspectives on on privacy. It is that they want transparency. They want control. They want to be engaged with. They want to. They want to be part of a dialogue, uh, and it's not. A, it's not a matter of uh, a complete. Yeah, I don't care. Use my. Use my personal data. Nor is it a case of. Um, of no, you you may not. Although of course those, those those attitudes exist, but the the majority of people, if I if I can give you an answer uh, uh, to that question, they uh, they are in that middle ground, and they are much more mature, much more sophisticated about privacy, and they want what they want is not a blanket yes or no. They want control, then they want transparency. I mean, I suppose over the last few years we've seen some some big fines for some of the technology giants uh, across Europe. And with insurance so reliant on data, do you see a time when insurers could be hit with similar major fines? And how prepared do you think the industry is for increased scrutiny and regulation in the tech data protection space? So uh, the, the the subject of fines is, is really quite interesting. So GDPR has been um, a, a wake-up call for many industries. Um, and, and to be honest, my, my answer is kind of conflicted in that uh, the fines will happen. I, I'm pretty sure that it's this is a safe bet. I, I, maybe not a not a, 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 a wise thing to say in, in in an insurance context because you know safe bets. Mm. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, you know we we have seen that pretty much any industry that deals with data has um, has been looked at by uh, the ICO or by uh, the equivalent uh, data protection. Uh, enforcement agencies in 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 various countries, and so the fines will happen because because mistakes happen because not everyone is uh, is doing it right. Um, what I think is worth noting is that while in theory uh, the fines can be quite large, I think you know four percent of your turnover or or twenty million, it's it's a, it's quite a lot of money. Uh, although so far. Uh, other than perhaps the um, the the British Airways fine, which which was quite uh, quite substantial, I think we, we're talking about what 180 million. That's a lot of money for 
uh, for, for British Airways, although I'm not sure whether it's been confirmed or whether it's still kind of uh, being uh, debated. But when you look at, say, the, the, the fines for, for Google, um, they don't add up to that much given how much profit Google makes. Now, the, the reality, uh, and I think the way I would want to frame that, that, that look is that the fines should not be what uh, insurance companies fear the most. Uh, let me explain that. Um, the, the, the data protection enforcing agencies have been quite clear in their messaging that their, their job is not to hit people with fines. They, their job is to make sure that we, um, that we all, all industries, um, uh, respect the rights of people when it comes to data protection. And so they're not here looking for uh, excuses to hit uh, companies with fines, but they will use that lever, that, that lever if they have to. Um, the, the, the thing that we need to be worried about, I, I, I would su suggest, is not the fines when data protection laws are flouted. It is the huge impact, uh, reputational and commercial, of being on the wrong side of a scandal. And not all scandals have to do with actually flouting the laws, and not, uh, not all scandals have to do with uh, being hit with a fine. Actually, that, that's, that's a fairly small uh, amount of them. But if you end up in a scandal because you did not engage with the public, you did not um, act transparently, you did not um, uh, communicate when something bad happened. I mean, most of the scandals we've seen are not so much that um, the that a breach had happened. It is a failure to communicate. And so making sure that the, that engagement and that ethical um, treatment of, of crises, largely, is done well, is, is in my view much, much more important and much more impactful to, to the bottom line as well uh, than just the fines. I'd like to uh, bring uh, Anna Rita in here. Um, I'd just like to ask, has collaboration between business become increasingly difficult as data sharing becomes a, has a weak point for cyber attacks? I think we are all, we all have to be um, more careful uh, and mindful of what we, uh, what we do. And, and we also have to recognise that, um, as Oliver mentioned it quite eloquently earlier, that, you know, the risk um, of, um, you know, losing data or having data being stolen is, yeah, okay, there, is, there, is a, there might be a monetary risk, but actually the biggest risk for us as an insurance is the reputational risk, is the, the respect and the trust of our customers. So, so yes, we do. Um, and it's actually, it's a quite fine balance between trying to be more um, and, and putting this, a system in place so to allow, you know, less of a risk of losing the information, but also being agile at the same time in using in using the data. And, and I think the way we have been able to work that out is one, so we, as a data practitioner and analytics practitioner, we actually work very closely with our, you know, information security colleagues, uh, data protection colleagues. We are always at the other end of the phone with them, and 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 I guess that uh, probably wouldn't have happened a few years back. But now 
we are all very aware that um, you know the benefit of using data um, you know is, is quite strongly linked to our ability to protect it as much as possible um, and this is what we are trying to do as well as data practitioner now does it offer some challenges yes it does at times especially when you want to try to do some things you know um, in a more of agile and 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 quicker way but uh, but at the end of the day you know the, the, we always have to look at the, the the final goal and the final goal is for us to be able to produce benefit for our customers and for our stakeholders and one of the benefits and one of the uh, things that they put trust on us is to protect their information if that comes as a first for us um, and then we try to do everything in a way that that is fully um, our promises to them is fully met. Olivia? Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with what Anarita was saying and I was uh, uh, wanting to, to add a, um, a, um, an optimistic uh, note. I think um, a few years back whenever I, I would um, talk to, to, to people in, in most industries, not just uh, insurance, but uh, about um, uh, collaboration and, and data sharing, the I was generally getting a response that was looking at me like I was a, a weird alien. And <laughs> in the past few years, actually, um, we have seen a big, big increase in the interest of uh, companies to share data for for, for specific purposes. Um, we're going away from a pure model of um, uh, data is worth money, therefore let's hoard let's hoard it and or sell it. And and in uh, the creation of structures for data sharing, when that makes sense. And I and I think that while there are uh, risks. Um, associated with that, the, the 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 work that is being done around um, uh, kind of fiduciary uh, um, stewardship of data for for specific purposes, more data sharing across uh, across industries for specific purposes, uh, while understanding that that doesn't necessarily hurt competitiveness. You know, we, we're we're seeing at the moment uh, in this uh, very uh, very strange con context, but we're seeing. Um, pharmaceutical companies, you know, extremely competitive field. We're seeing uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, decide that they're going to be sharing data to um, to uh, fight the pandemic because they realize that um, this is a, a, a common goal that they have and that data sharing is a good thing. And they're still very competitive otherwise. And so understanding that they're can be collaboration that can be data sharing for certain purposes while at the same time be be quite competitive and that of course data sharing in those cases needs to be secure um, and 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 well uh, governed uh, but actually that 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 shift in perspectives uh, in industries in the past couple of years uh, for me uh, proves that we're getting to be much, much more mature about understanding what we, qu we can do with data and much less kind of binary about, oh, data is worth a lot of money, therefore let's put it away and only use it uh, for, um, for our own um, profit. That I find very, very encouraging. I suppose finally, and we've had touched on this, the, the final question really is that, is it kind of inevitability that if people want better, more accurate, and here's the clue, personalized insurance products and services, that they have to surrender some of their personal data, um, Anarita. 
that's that's an interesting um, that's an interesting paradigm and and clearly something that um, especially in the pricing space um, you know our pricing colleagues had to look at for a for a number of for a number of years now. Um, it's all about our ability to explain to our customers the benefits that providing certain information could give to them. Now, we don't have to use that personal data, um, and and we often, um, you know, we don't. I mean, and, and there are some legislation around, you know, clearly certain information that we are not allowed to use, um, for example, in pricing. Uh, but I think to me, it's more about what is the benefit to the customer uh, about uh, bringing, you know, personal data into, you know, um, an insurance decision, um, and 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 are we able to communicate that um, in a way that the customer are brought in and are bought in into uh, into what we are trying to do with that. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, if you look, and Oliver was making the point earlier um, that clearly, you know, people at the moment are more uh, recently actually more conscious about, you know, the data that they share. But still, they are quite happy, most of them, to actually being able to share the information with Google Maps so that they can get, you know, um, so that they can get updated traffic information. So, so if if you look at it from that point of view, you, you give something away so you can get a benefit. So, so we as an organization, if we believe that this is the thing that we need to do in order to provide a better service, we need to be better at explaining that to our customers so that they are brought in. And they are bought in, and they fully understand what we are trying to do, and the benefits that they will get for them, and for you know, and for for us as a society in general. I, I completely agree with, with with this. I think the 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 um, it, it's the the word that I would object to in, in in your question, if you allow me, is is the word surrendering. It's not about surrendering. It's about um, it, it's about um, making it clear what the data is used for, and when you have a when you have that dialogue, when you have that clarity, when you have that transparency, and when you're when when the value proposition that you have of we need this data because it will help us do this, then then people will be will be to, in 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 their majority happy to do that. The one the one nuance that I would I would add, and I would actually um, uh, get back to something that Anarita said earlier, is that uh, we need to be data informed, not data driven and we need to make it clear to people that the data is not just going to be used to create uh, kind of computer says no type systems that we're going to be informed by the data and that but that it's not going to become kind of a a, a, a dystopian black box and that instead we're going to be informed by the data but we're going to still think about how the use of the data in, uh, affect them and, the, and and then make sure that we communicate that with them, that we listen to their concerns as well. And if we do that, then then we get to a much more, um, a, a much healthier ecosystem of collecting personal data of people uh, about whom the data is being being quite comfortable with it because they see the value and they see the value getting back to them and not just being um, not just being kind of uh, uh, pumped out of the ground and and, and used for for somebody else's profit. So Jeff, um, so what do you think around this about this issue? Um, I think I'm perhaps slightly less worried about um, 
about the privacy um, aspects of data than 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 others. Um, I think GDPR, um, given that it's it actually does have teeth um, and some fairly expensive teeth if 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 people get things wrong. Um, I think GDPR is going to be very good at protecting um, protecting this data that we're going to be gathering. I also think that the, that the reputation of insurance companies, um, I think we should give um, insurance companies credit um, for, I mean, they are supposed to be um, trustworthy organisations, a safe pair of hands, and and their reputation is, is, is extremely important. Um, and so data breaches, um, misbehave, misbehaving and other 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 uh, risks to do with holding large amounts of personal data. I'm I'm fairly sure the insurance industry is going to be going to be um, fairly well protected um, on that side. My 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 worry is pro probably more on the sort of um, the laws of unintended consequences um, of this quest for um, more and more data more granularity of the data um, and so on and so forth and what they're going to do it for I mean I, I certainly understand the arguments for risk management and I, I'm you know I can see that telematics is, is a great example of of, uh, of potentially reducing risk in, in in younger drivers especially um, even with the sort of anecdotally um, unreliable technology that some companies were using in the early days I think telematics is probably um, a good example of, of how this sort of technology can reduce risk um, and maybe help insurance companies price slightly better according to the risk and I, I think that's that's pretty good but with looking looking at the I remember the the, the first uh, day I started working in an insurance company in 1989 um, I was I was told what insurance was and I was told that it was a it was a social mechanism in order to spread the losses of the few amongst the wealth of the many and I was explained how that how that works, and it, and it seemed like a perfectly rational explanation. Um, and I just wonder how much the ever increasing um, sort of laser focus and granularity that technology can bring in the pricing and risk selection uh, processes. I wonder how whether that has a risk of of moving away from that um, social concept of insurance. And potentially, I mean, you only you only need to look at some of the some of the advances that are being made. For example, in 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 health, you know, you can do start looking at people's genetics and making reasonably accurate predictions as to what sorts of diseases they may they may suffer from. Um, and you can obviously look at flood data now, much more accurate than the flood data that was used to price my policy a decade or more ago. Um, but there's flood data now, and you can almost go down to square meter level. You can be you can be pretty sure in certain classes of business, even now, whether you're going to be underwriting a risk that's liable to pay a claim or not. And I just wonder if you extend that argument out several several years, maybe a decade or so. And once this technology is very very mature, how many people are going to be priced out of insurance because they are too high risk? And at the other end of the scale, how many people will realise that they are in fact incredibly low risks and may decide not to buy insurance at all, um, leaving a sort of grey area in the middle for the insurance companies to try and make some money out of? Um, I think that's a to me, that's a that's perhaps a more. Um, I mean, it's not. It's, not, it's perhaps a dystopian version of the future, but I'm, I think it's something that's that's definitely worth keeping an eye on.
Well, on that note, uh, I'd like to thank all my panellists for the time. I'd like to thank Jeff, I'd like to thank Anna Rita, I'd like to thank Olivier. Thank you very much for your time. It is a part of an ongoing series called uh, Insurance Expertise in Audio. Um, please stay tuned and look out for more of our future podcasts in this series. And if you want to stay tuned with all the latest data and analytics news and uh, white papers, please remember to check out Insurance Post and Insurance Hound. Until the next podcast, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio.